Right, welcome back to Cast Me to Hell with me, Seb. And with me, Robbie. And this week we have very special guests with us. We have Simon and Leah from So I Married a Horror Fan podcast. Yeah, welcome hey. hey gang <laughs> yeah welcome back simon and you know uh welcome lee you know this is the this is simon's second time and lee's first time with us um yeah so tell us a bit about your podcast let's let's go straight into the cheap plug <laughs> that's your job i did it last time you can that's your job uh, so... <laughs> i hired someone at work to tell people what my job role is so i can just go yeah, that's what I do too. Yeah, refer to that. Sorry, we've got so, questions for Lee in a minute. Yeah. <laughs> so our, our podcast, um, thank you once again, guys, for having me back. It's nice that I didn't make an ass of myself the first time. Yeah. Um, so for those of you that are unfamiliar with our podcast or didn't listen to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre episode, we're uh, a married couple. Uh, I am a lifelong horror fan. Uh, Lee, Lee was not. Um, and then we decided one day to start a podcast. And uh, basically, the, the premise of the podcast was to try and get Lee into horror movies. Um, we've been going for about two years now. Um, it's been more successful than I expected it to. <laughs> I thought either the podcast or the marriage would have ended by now. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's basically a similar format to what you guys do. Weekly episodes, we cover new films as well. Uh, we do sort of top top five rankings and things like that as well. So yeah, kind of a mix of everything. But yeah, it's it's going... Well, I guess <laughs> <laughs> we're exactly the same. Well, uh, I think anyone I know who has a podcast or does a podcast, they're like, "Are these good? Yeah, is this anything?" Like, if, if this was any other numbers in certain other areas, they'd be like, "No, that's terrible." <laughs> yeah, but for podcasting, apparently, we're doing we're okay. Doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting by, kind of thing. That actually answers the the first thing we were going to say, which is that Lee is not Lee is not a uh, horror fan. And we were just, we were just like, what was your relationship with horror before Simon? <laughs> um, non-existent, I think <laughs> is the answer. So I grew up during the period of like everyone was terrified of like Freddy, Jason, Chucky, Ghostface. Yeah, and I was literally that was all I knew about horror, and I was like, I never want to see it because these people are going to come and kill me, and I don't want to do that. <laughs> And I just always, like, I was a massive pansy. I was scared of Scooby-Doo as a kid, like. It's terrifying stuff. <laughs> you know? It is absolutely terrifying. terrifying. Yeah. Monsters so, Unleashed. Yeah, no. Monsters <laughs> Unleashed. <laughs> Not a horror fan at all. Yeah. That's a, we pretty much have a similar kind of thing anyway. We talked about this last time, but, like, my partner is pretty much none at all like with horror she's had to get used to it with me yeah. your partner Anna was not really like she, she was a yeah. little bit yeah she prefers more modern ones so when I kind of make her watch stuff from the 70s 80s even the 90s you know she's not overly into it so yeah she's not massively she thinks everything well. just looks outdated yeah basically. <laughs> yeah you showed a night on Elm Street and she hated it. yeah she hated it which isn't a good way to start um but I mean <laughs> How are you guys feeling about the new Hellraiser? Obviously dropping, I believe, this Friday, hopefully. Yeah. And our crossover episode to yeah. plug it in there already. Yeah. I mean, we, <laughs> yeah, we'll be joining you guys over on your podcast for that. But I mean, there's a new Hellraiser coming. How are you feeling about it? I'm going to let Simon take this one because he has been. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm excited for it, man. Um, I don't know how familiar you guys are with David Brockner's work. Um, 
but what really sold me on the idea of him doing it was the Nighthouse. Have you guys seen the Nighthouse? Yeah, yeah, yeah that movie. Like having watched that movie, and then they were like, "This guy's doing the Hellraiser movie." I was like, "Yeah," I was like, it "Makes complete sense." <laughs> um, and like, I love the fact that they've not tried to remake the original. They're trying to like kind of readapt the novel, which is yeah. quite a cool idea. Um, and I love the fact there was a quote because um, they showed it. So this is going out. When is this going out? Monday. Yeah, this yeah. is going out on the Monday yeah. and this Friday. So this Friday, when you're, as you're listening, this Friday coming up is when on yeah. So I Married a Horror Podcast we'll, we'll have drop an episode yeah. <laughs> of the new Hellraiser. <laughs> so last night, because we're recording this on the Thursday prior, last night they had a secret screening of it at one of the film festivals. And there's a great quote from David Bruckner where he's talking about how like the idea of BDSM has changed. And he's like, even my mum like reads like Fifty Shades of Grey now. And he's like <laughs> talking about how they like redesigned the Cenobites so that their own skin was like leather. So they're sacrificing themselves for this. So I was like, they, they, they have like a fundamental understanding of what makes a franchise work. Yeah. But then I said that about Rob Zombie's Monsters and that was one of the worst films I've ever seen. So <laughs> um, yeah. I haven't I taken a dive yet. <laughs> It's all kind of up for grabs, but what about you? Because you're you're someone who uh, is very attracted to this little guy. Um, so how do you feel about it? I'm very excited for Leather Mummy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that's all of my feelings just summed up. I'm very excited for Leather Mummy. What about you guys? What you? <laughs> At least my next question. Who who's into S and M? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about your tell ass. About S and M. Yeah, you've got your assless chaps on. I do have my assless <laughs> chaps on. You know, but I, I always have them on. So it's, no, it's not just for this. But um, I I love the first three Hellraisers. I haven't seen any of the others. Um, it's just something that I've always meant to do. However, I haven't heard particularly great things. And by the time I actually got round to watching them, all of the shitty ones had been removed from Netflix. So <laughs> I was trying, you know, having trouble finding them. Um, but I, I mean, I, I always feel like um, Hellraiser is kind of like the dark souls of horror films. It doesn't tell you much, <laughs> but when you dig into it and when you dig into the lore and the world and the stories... There's so much there, and it's you know it's just it's just incredible the amount of stuff there, and things that you kind of think have no you know there's something in this film which always felt strange and out of place, but when you actually read about it, there's so much there, and it's not even mentioned in the film. So yeah, I kind of love the whole lore of it. I love how disgusting it is. I love how erotic it is. You know, <laughs> it's kind of yeah, it's such a, a good film you know I, I i think this one is a masterpiece the first hellraiser what about yourself well i i literally only watched hellraiser for the first we both pretty much did we yeah. the first hellraiser we'd literally what an, a year or year two, two years, years, years ago, ago maybe yeah. um i'd only watched it for the first time i mean i knew pinhead head pinhead pinhead <laughs> yeah <laughs> i knew pinhead uh obviously and i i'd seen part i'd seen like ideas of the film i'd seen parts of the film but i'd never actually watched it so I wasn't quite prepared when it was like one. I didn't realize the level of eroticism that was in the film. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I didn't expect that at all. Um, and then the level of gore and graphic for the time, the the effects that are within this film are just phenomenal. Um, I because 
I only watched it apart from the first time that I'd ever seen it the like the other yeah. day. And like delving into the like the film, I thought I remembered that the things like the Cenobites and things like that were quite like almost teased throughout the film. I forgot that they're literally front and center, like in the first couple of minutes. You yeah. get to see them all and you get to see like the aftermath of what they do. So yeah, no, I I was completely drawn in. We I went after that one. I was like, right, I've got to watch. I think I think I literally said to you, I've managed to get two and three to come and watch yeah. <laughs> two and three, which are just crazy films as well each one has a weird like i love the second one. the second one was mad like the dreamscapes and like the, the, the well not dreamscape but the hell and the, the, hell and the, the worlds they go to and things like that and then yeah free has its own kind of odd macho eroticism yeah <laughs> and yeah i mean kind of diving straight into the film you know it it opens with yeah, this beautiful kind of orchestral score. Um, what's, and, your, what's your pleasure, Mr. Cotton? Yeah, what's your <laughs> pleasure, Mr. Cotton? Um, and, you know, there's, you know, we see Frank kind of, I think he's in Morocco, isn't he, buying this, yeah. you know, treasure box or this puzzle box that we have that we see. Um, and there was a line that I picked up on when I watched this again uh, last night, and it was, I always heard, you know, when Frank buys the puzzle box, but he says, you know, uh, take it, it's yours. But I didn't hear the, the man say, it always was, you know? And I don't know, there's just something about that and the fact that it kind of, implies that these people's destinies and fates is to always kind of end up with the Cenobites. It's kind of another kind of freakiness to it. Um, and then that whole opening scene where we see Frank with the candles and he solves it and then the hook's coming and grabbing him. It's only just for like a yeah. second. So you kind second, of wonder, yeah. that's why at the start you kind of wonder, is this going to be kind of one of those, you know, quick cutaway kind of horror kind of like you see it go in but you it, it doesn't show the full thing yet luckily it's not <laughs> yeah you know we see then we see the you know the the i don't even know what it is it's like a pillar spinning around and you you know and then we see the cenobites who are freaky and disgusting on their own yeah. um I feel like Simon, you've got uh, you've probably yeah. got more depth into this. Has <laughs> <laughs> anyone have you have you has, has anyone have you read the original? I haven't read the original story. No. Hellbound Heart. No. Hellbound I've, Heart. I've read the original novel and I've read some of the comic books, so I've looked at some of the stuff outside of the film. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting, like you say, that we kind of dive straight into this world. And like I want to pick up on something that you said about the the guy with the the, the Asian man with the box because you know who that is? Who? It's James Holt. No. Yeah. What? From Wayne's World. Yeah, and from Kung Fu Panda, Mulan. Oh wow! It, it, the... I knew I re- I knew I recognised the voice. I did actually write. Because yeah, I wrote down Chinese man feeling very racist right now. Yes. <laughs> and going, I yeah, swear I recognise who that is. I didn't have time to actually look it up, but I was like, is it the same guy? Wow, you're That's not amazing. It's every every film we've ever watched, which includes an old Chinese man, is that guy? Yeah, <laughs> basically. It's <laughs> probably... like someone goes, we need an old Chinese man for this role. Someone call James Bond immediately. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what I, what I was going to say was he kind oh, of reminds me of the guy from Gremlins who gives Billy the Mogwai. Um, he's kind of like, it feels like there's more to him than maybe the film um, lets you know. Like, 
he potentially is like a human um, servant, I guess, for the Cenobites on Earth. Like he knows these people are going to pass through and he's kind of almost like the person that is collecting the souls for the Cenobites almost. That's kind of how that exchange comes across. But I don't know if, if that came across that way for anybody yeah. else. Well, funnily enough, yeah. that's um, what I mentioned about when I read into it. So um, we, uh, we we see the Asian man at the start and then throughout the film, we see the homeless man. Um, you yeah. know, you see him and then he, he you see him eat the crickets and oh, then yeah. he comes and he picks up the, the box and turns into some random bone dragon and flies away and and i thought what <laughs> I, I was like what the fuck is that because there's bits of the film that i just always forget and i always forget about that so i was like what the fuck so i read so i googled it and so th- that kind of character is called an uh an, an eremite that's what they are in the in the world so they are shapeshifters and that asian man is the homeless man and they are the formed where one Cenobite, yeah, where one Cenobite <laughs> sends its, uh, apparently sends its demonic sperm through somebody else. And then they have sex with a woman who gives birth, dies in childbirth. And then the baby, when it grows up and when it is 16, it's revealed that it is a, ser- a, a servant of the Cenobites. And, and it's given a puzzle box to look over and guide into the correct hands. So it is the same person, um, which is the, you know... Cronenberg, hell is going on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's that, insane. I mean, it tracks with this film, but it it's, does. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an extra level of madness that you it don't is. quite... <laughs> that's what I mean about the law. And then I was reading some more stuff, and it said, you know, this really horrid thing, which is they often... They, they do disguise themselves as homeless people and vagrants, and they live... Um, in kind of tents under you know, and like you know squats and what they do is they have newspaper clippings and uh uh you know uh, milk cartons of the people who have gone missing through the through the box that they keep as trophies and it's just some sickening law there that the film just doesn't tell you you know i had to go away and research that you know yeah, I <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> yeah, it does. I think like the Clive, obviously Clive Barker's got a fucked up brain. Yeah, <laughs> from the original or even some of the other ones, which not even all of them were done by Clive Barker. No. I think David uh, David McWilliam, I think, did uh, other ones and created more law for the story. I mean, the main thing that went to my mind is when the religious sect is known as the Order of the Gash. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can, it's like you're not even trying to hide what's going through your brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all you want is gore and sex. And I almost feel like, like, like we were talking about like the censorship before. We, yeah. we both looked at the censorship. And the fact that it's pretty much sounds like they, the studio basically told them to reduce the sodom the sodomy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and maybe include more you know include more of like a, a story so it basically sounded like he just wanted to have a film that was about a guy that bangs some woman <laughs> and then gets torn apart <laughs> or everyone gets torn yeah. apart <laughs> and yeah. i love it yeah it was yeah. well it's, it's his directorial debut as well clive barker and screenplay yeah. i think david uh, he did all of these the first time so it's it's very um it's a, it's, it's an interesting first, first film. 
Yeah, for, for a first effort, it's so polished. Made the film version of a Nine Inch Nails song. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> that is what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So, I mean, one thing that I always forget is that there is kind of, I think, because we were introduced to the Cenobites quite quickly. And then all of the, you know, all of the posters and all of the promotional materials feature uh, pinheads so kind of heavily that I often, I think a lot of people probably forget that a lot of the story is kind of about Frank Cotton. It is kind of about this strange love triangle between Frank, his absolute cuck of a brother Larry and then the what his wife Julia you know and, and it is about this kind of Frank escaping uh and trying to kind of get blood to rejuvenate himself and that that part of the story I do remember the first time I saw that that part of the story like I was just remember uh, right I'm gonna watch Hellraiser for the first time this is not the direction I was expecting this film no. to go in at all <laughs> I mean uh sorry I've, I've blanked on the wife's name again. Julia Julia is Julia yeah Julia I mean I, I I didn't see her as the sex symbol of this film I mean the actress herself I mean I've seen play many of like dinner ladies and many like in many <laughs> British comedies and Welsh co- like films like uh, I think there's a film like Pride she feels like a Welsh like oh, I, I, that's the only films like I'd mainly seen her in were these like older lady kind of housewife kind of ones and then here she is just getting banged like crazy by yeah. Frank. <laughs> <laughs> she's responsible for your dinner lady fetish <laughs> I, okay, I think it's the the Leah earlier because she was watching it I was like I'm pretty sure Julia Julia Cotton or Julia how what her, her, her surname is in this movie her boobs are the first boobs I ever saw in the film I'm almost a hundred percent confident really so, yeah <laughs> It wasn't until I was watching it this time and I was watching it on Prime. So when it pauses, it gives you like the underneath bit of like, yes. it. He was in this film and her little picture. And I was like, I know that face. <laughs> and then I went and looked her up and she's in like Doctor Who and like the BBC <laughs> adaptation of Casanova. <laughs> and I was like, how the fuck did I not realise this the first time I watched it? Because she looks nothing like exactly. that. Exactly. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that now she doesn't look anything like the character like in that this film. She's completely different. Yeah. <laughs> and there's stuff like when they move they, that is in this film that is it just feels like it's just Clive Barker being like, How can we gross people out? Because when they first yeah. move into this kind of beautiful, massive country house. It's just full of like maggots and cockroaches rotting and food and, and rotting yeah. food. And it's so gross. I was eating my lunch watching yes. it earlier. <laughs> I felt that scene. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised. I was surprised. To eat noodles and I was like, oh yeah, there's the cockroaches and the maggots. Yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> also, bizarrely, the, the moving in scene has potentially for me the one scene in this movie that makes me cringe the most. And it's when um, Larry oh. catches his hand on Ooh, the nail, yeah. and yeah. you just see it like rip the. And I'm just like, oh no, yeah, yeah, It's that. It's weird, isn't it? Those kind of seeds. It's like a weird, like all of the other things, the the hooks and the clock pulling your body apart. <laughs> you can distance yourself from it, but an everyday thing like a nail, or if someone's chopping something in a film, and you're like, they're going to cut their hand. They're going to. Yeah. I'm waiting for them to cut their finger off or something like that. That's the one that makes you go, oh no, but suddenly you see a yeah. guy get torn apart his skin torn off and you're like yeah <laughs> it's, it's gross but it's not it's not gonna happen to me right yeah it's par for the course you know <laughs> but yeah i mean it kind of sets up uh, you know a, a whole kind of 
that's the catalyst, isn't it? That he, yeah, yeah. he. he he gets a really deep cut as well. There's so much blood. That's the one thing that stuck out. I was like, Boring. yeah, I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. How much blood does this man have? That yeah, it's like really... Monty Python levels of like yeah. comedy blood. Yeah. yeah. And... A flesh wound. It's, yeah. just, it's just over. It's, it's, it's again, it's another one of those signs of what was going through Clive Barker's head is like, as a director, like, right, that's not enough blood. Yeah. <laughs> it just needs Pour more. Pour some more cornstarch on that, please. Yeah. <laughs> like when Kylo Ren's just screaming, more, more. It's just like, how much? It's just, he's leaked like eight pints of blood. I'm fine. Yeah. But Frank's reanimation is so good, you know? Um to, to jump to that scene, it's yeah, it's just incredible. I think it's one of the the when people look at body horror and kind of special effects of the eighties, a lot of people forget about it. I think because it looks so good. I mean, I don't well, I don't have a clue how they filmed it. You know, I'm not sure if it was done in reverse or anything like that. But it looks like it was in reverse when you yeah. watch it. Like it feels like it was shot in reverse. But part of my brain is like claymation. <laughs> that's what I was thinking maybe claymation like but... that. it's claymation but it looks too real yeah. it looks too yeah. real to be claymation that's the problem it's also I think I'm just like well sculpted but I don't know if it's claymation or if it's like full on more like a wax kind of figures that they've used to break down I yeah I, know. I think I'm right in saying that Robbie's right I think it is a reverse so I remember seeing something about how they filmed it I think it was reverse shot so the model is there and then they kind of yeah. like reverse the footage so that the model goes like down into the ground as opposed or however it's, way it just, is. They're just melting a wax. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what was making me think of wax because I'm feeling like they would melt it. It's so yeah. they could melt down to create that kind of reverse kind of to make it look so cool. Yeah. In that kind of way. And wax figures are that good to a melt. Good <laughs> yeah, it probably is. As, um, as we found out from that fact on Twitter, one of the people who follows us tweeted both of our podcasts saying that um, Clive Barker went into a library and found two books on filmmaking and they only had like one in the library. <laughs> that was how he directed this movie. Just by <laughs> yeah. Which is absolutely like, insane. I'm make this look real. Yeah, that's <laughs> insane that you could just be like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make a film. I'm just going to get a book from the library and just read it and just make a a cult classic, you know, and yeah. then that spawns 10 sequels. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, I mean, this film's definitely made by the special effects in this film. Yeah. It, it is, so it just adds to it. I mean, it's not like, the, it's not that Julia and Larry, it's not like they're the most like drawn in. Frank is, Frank's a full on, you know. Frank's old school. Like, La you look at Larry, I mean, who's choosing, La who's choosing Larry <laughs> over Frank? Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you, are, you aren't jumping into that. I mean, you're even choosing, uh, I, I assume, Pinhead over Larry. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. I'm choosing like... Pinhead over Frank, though, to be fair. Right. I, 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 I would <laughs> fuck Kirsty's non-existent boyfriend, Steve, over Larry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Larry's just like a drain, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I, Larry's so... And that's it. Like, you, usually, if somebody turns up, if the villain turns up, and plows like one of the main characters' wives. <laughs> you're supposed to be like, oh God, I hate that guy. You know, I hate yeah. him. But Frank, you're kind of like, <laughs> I'll let you off. You know, loud a shit. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> she's got out to bar. She's got some dudes. She's re <laughs> brought him back with all of these dudes that she can get. And yet you're still like, yeah, I mean, I guess I'd go that far to bang Frank. <laughs> yeah. And I love it. Look, Frank is definitely a sexual man, but I just love that it. It has this 
it almost feels a little bit melodramatic daytime soapish where you know after they have sex frank's like it's never enough and then just like storms out with a cigarette you know and it it feels very melodramatic and somebody would see the soap opera but it's i don't yeah. know why it's... It, it is it is is that those parts of the film that, that occasionally were like when i was first watching it i remember being like Oh, maybe I'm not going to enjoy this as much because it is. A, you have to get used to it. It's not quite what you're expecting yeah. to see in this kind of film. No. Yeah. And he's all like, it's not enough. Like, I'm not being funny, but I watched that scene. It doesn't look especially interesting. It looks like you had just a little bit over the edge of vanilla sex. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, maybe go for BDSM club, see how you feel later. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like Simon's more close to it. He's saying it was his first boob. So there's a there's a part of him that's always going to be like, that was hella erotic. <laughs> yeah, that was erotic. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, when we when we rewatched this movie when we covered it, I hadn't really seen it since I was probably like eight or nine. And I, I was like, I remember this movie being way more gory there being way more tits in this film. And I was like, did I, did, did my brain just imagine this? Because I was like, oh my God, this boob. Like, did I imagine this movie being like way sexier than it is? You were like every woman, every person who's into women, yeah. like um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I, know, yeah. I know the exact second Phoebe Cates takes her top off of that movie. Like, who doesn't? And it's like the same with this movie. Like, <laughs> I think it's 53 minutes and five seconds, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, most, um, the most sensual thing when I was younger, I remember, was the um, it was when we got a PlayStation One, <laughs> and it was um, it, it was one of the SmackDown games had a loading screen a screen of Trish Stratus, and I was like, every time I play, I'd be like, please be that loading screen, and I was like eight or nine, and it was amazing, you know. <laughs> I was gonna say I can't even I can't even remember one. <laughs> it was probably something like Nadia and American Pie or something. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Probably some random thing like that. I feel like we're not. I can we're... Tell you, it's not my first tits, but the first time I watched a sex scene in a film, and it was really awkward because I was with my mum and my stepdad, oh. and we watched Queen of the Damned. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh yeah! Dean <laughs> of and Akasha in the pool. And yeah, that was quite full on. Yeah, yeah. And I like sat there in between my mum, my stepdad. Like, I can't Shit. look away because yeah. they know I've seen it. Oh, there's nothing worse. Watch- there's nothing worse than the sat in the middle while you're watching a sex scene, kind of like I. I think it was. It wasn't even a bad one. It was like Moulin Rouge or something like that, which has a kind of sex scene in it, but it's not like full on or anything. But when you're sat in a room with your cousins, your grandma, and everyone, and you're sat watching that scene, it's like, oh, kill me. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, take me into that hell world. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking like relatively recently. We had Christmas at my mum's house. Oh god! And it was me. We did. We mom, didn't watch her mum. My no, me, my mum, <laughs> my mum's now husband, and my granddad, and we watched Love Actually. Oh, oh yes. Oh yeah. I was literally trying I to always think. forget I those scenes. Love actually so many times, and I'd completely forgotten about the fucking porn scene. Yeah, yeah, the Martin Freeman with uh, <laughs> I can't remember what name is out of Gavin and Stacey, yeah. and they're doing the sex. Yeah. I forget that every time Haven't it comes they? on. Every when you time. mentioned, yeah, when you mentioned, oh, I was, we were watching a Christmas film. I was thinking, what Christmas film has like banging in? And then as soon as you said Love Actually, it was like a PTSD flashback. I was like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't even that bothered that it was my mum, but it's like my 70-year-old friend. <laughs> so yeah. I was like, oh my 
did not, I did not realize we were going to discover a Hellraiser to Love Actually pipeline. Was it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, this is literally like this is here, and uh, yeah, it could be a crossover. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, we've got men and women here. So when's the first time you saw Hang Dong? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can answer that one. Train okay. spotting. You and oh. McGregor. Train spotting. Ah, fair enough. I want you guys to know if to this day what people someone's dick in a film. Yeah, I don't know. I no, still it, don't it, think to this day. I don't know. Wait, X. Yeah, because we saw kids cuddling in X. I don't think just we haven't seen, seen X. X but... Hanging dog in a film. I'm sh- I still haven't seen X. I, w- I really want to see, I really it. Want to see it. I'm sure a dude hangs dong in a knight's tail. A knight's tail? No. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that when I was like 11 in the yeah, cinema. So dude I. definitely doesn't hang no, dong. I, no, I don't know if he does. You see ass. I think you, see, you see Paul Bettany's ass. You see Paul, Paul yes. Bettany's ass. I thought you might have seen He's Paul not Bettany's hanging dong. dong, though. You're imagining hanging Maybe I've just got Paul Bettany's dong on my mind. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we're, we're an advocate for the, the more hanging dog. dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, you're right. The scene in Pop Star. Pop Star never stop, never stopping. Yeah. yeah, this oh, yeah, yeah. Dude's <laughs> I can't actually remember the first dog I saw on, on, <laughs> on video. <laughs> it's not quite the same experience for a straight man to be no, like, oh, it's dog. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I think it was I can't even remember what the film is. It was Bruce Willis <laughs> in there's some film where he has like this crazy girlfriend who and they like in a pool and there's just a scene where just basically it's Bruce Willis's dong just across the screen. Why do I feel like I know that film? It's, it's not um, it's, it's a it's not a good film, but the, it's, the whole nine yards. No, no, <laughs> that's not about crazy X, that's about Matthew Perry getting up to ridiculous. Maybe do you see Bruce's Willis? Yeah, Bruce I, I don't know. I just saw I just heard that film and I saw it when it came out because it was on the back of Chandler Bing. And I watched it and I don't, I was about eight or something. And I don't know what happened. You, <laughs> just, you just like, spent so long watching Friends that you just that wanted to see Chandler's Chandler Bing. And I was like, oh, there is not a porn parody of that movie called The Whole Nine Inches. That yeah. we <laughs> I know. That's it. It, it exists. Let's be honest. It's perfectly for you for it. Also, yeah, it I'm just, since, since we mentioned this, to bring it back to Hellraiser, <laughs> I am surprised there are not more Hellraiser porn parodies are in the there world. Any? There must be, sure. I'll have a look now. I'm going to look up more quickly. Yeah, I'm going to look at. I mean, he's, keep talking. He's just otherwise. do it, yeah, midway through. Uh, <laughs> so apparently, the Hellraiser porn parody, Cockraiser. It's a bit. It's funny, but it's, it's on the nose. Yeah, it's a bit too, <laughs> you know. Could have had something a bit no, better. Cockraiser. Like. Is that the only one you can find? Cockraiser. Apparently, Cockraiser. You know? <laughs> You just will tear your hole apart. Yeah, we'll tear your hole apart. There you go. <laughs> that could be the tagline. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the original film has enough dirty lines and things. I mean, literally, Pinhead says, You open it, we come. <laughs> now you must come with us, taste our pleasure. Yeah. I mean, if that's not basically a porn line <laughs> turned into I'm a horror. So- line. When Chatterer turns up, he shoves his two fingers in Kirsty's mouth and fingers her mouth for a little bit. Yeah, well. that's a bit rough. A dirty little bastard. Also, like, oh. yeah. The ch- I don't know if you guys know this, but the Chatterer's name is James. <laughs> I mean, the, actual, when he, the actor or the yes, <laughs> character? No, no, the character. Before he became the Chatterer, his name's James. So if you go on his, if you go on his Wikipedia or you know his Hellraiser equivalent, it just says aliases. James, <laughs> which I don't know why I'd find that so funny. 
And he actually, the actor who played the Chatterer, he is in Hellraiser 2 as the uh, character who thinks he's covered in the maggots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely gross scene. And go, I think that I'm I'm glad I'm not the only one who's so grossed out by maggots because I I remember the first time I watched Ghost Ship and Carl Urban uh, and his mate find all of the old food that hasn't that's in a tin and they crack into it and they're eating and then it cracks to them eating maggots and then every time I would have rice it would be these are maggots and it's so gross. Why do maggots? At all. Oh, but so I used to fish, so you have to get used to handling maggots. Yeah, yeah. I just think they're so gross. Because... No, <laughs> not even. I remember once we'd gone fishing and the maggots, it was so cold. My dad, like, the maggots started to like, get really slouchy and sloppy. And my dad was like, Do you just put them between your lips? <laughs> you literally just put the word maggot and sloppy in the same way. Yeah, <laughs> and in your mouth. Sloppy maggots in your mouth. Yeah, I'm assuming my dad was fucking with me. I didn't do it. I'm assuming my dad was fucking with me. Hopefully. Hopefully. But he was like really trying to convince me, and I was like, I'm going to start calling you old maggot mouth now. Old maggot mouth. One of the girls in my year at school did, though, for a science expert at school. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, that there's all this disgusting stuff in Hellraiser. The only thing that's grossed us out so far is a nail on the hand of maggots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of all of the stuff that happens in this film. Yeah. I mean, I did, so far, I mean, I knew that this film was going to take us on, but I didn't expect a long tangent on first boobs, hanging dong, yeah. <laughs> and maggots in mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's I, what, one thing I will be really interested to see in the new one is what is the new Cenobites, you know, because the 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 four that we get, particularly in this, this I think this they're so iconic, you know. Um, the first I actually do remember the first time I watched this. I watched this years ago with um, a, f- a friend of ours, Sam, and the only reason why I, I remember watching it is because both of us got so disgusted by. Um, the by the Cenobites, but completely different ones. I found the Chatterer to be gross for some reason. I don't know what it was. But then Sam was so grossed out by Butterball, the uh, the larger lad with the glasses. I don't know why he <laughs> shades, but it was just I don't know why. And then even the you know the 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 female Cenobite is you know with her throat cut open. Yeah, she's the one that sticks with me with her like throat ripped open. Yeah, yeah the homemade. Tracheotomy. Yeah. yeah. And she does this kind of <clears throat> cat like wail throughout the film. Yeah. And yeah. I think they're so gross. And... I, I think, I, but that's kind of, I, I feel like that's kind of the point though, isn't it? Yeah. I feel like they're both meant, they're all linked to like almost different body forms, different perspectives of humans. And you're kind of, you're going to be drawn to one. It's definitely the throat one with me. You know, it's going to yeah. be. I've got a whole thing about not. Don't Having go near my throat. Yeah. I don't let anyone like touch my throat. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a weird thing. I always think in the cinema someone's gonna slice my throat. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's, it's odd. I don't know where it came from. I think Scream, a couple of the throat slittings in Scream back Maybe. in the day threw me off them. Yeah. <laughs> or some other I'm, I'm probably gonna expose more of myself on this podcast now by saying this. But I think also the idea of it is meant to be kind of like the whole idea of the film itself is things that would generally repulse you you're kind of attracted to so it kind of goes into the whole like 
coming out about your kinks and about like yeah pleasure and pain and you're supposed to find these characters repulsive but there is something oddly alluring about them like would you fuck the female cenobite probably yeah but you're supposed to be repulsed by her yeah same as pinhead same as like chatterer but there is something that is like deeply sexual about them and i think that's kind of the idea of like when people explore the darker side of like relationships and sexuality there are things that naturally you're scared of or you would be repulsed by and i think that's kind of what that's supposed to represent but they are kind of you do look at them you're like i could not imagine shagging butterballs he looks like a melted ice cream man like, yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> yeah about this whole situation though Oh god, here we go. Because obviously Frank decides to get the lament configuration to summon the Cenobites because he wants to experience like the greatest pain and pleasure. Yeah. However, when he's fucking Julia in earlier in the film, or later in the film, earlier in his life, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a very like dumb overtone. And I'm like, are you a switch? Do you know which way you're falling? Because you've gone from being a dom to kind of being a very strong sub, like my love. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you know really how all of this works. <laughs> he, he went from top to bottom real quickly. Yeah. yeah. I guess that's it. He's just getting stuck in. <laughs> you know? As quickly as he could, didn't he? Yeah. But I, I mean, Frank is himself is, I think he's such a, uh, he's a great character. He's so kind of horrid and he's so kind of, he he's a bit like, uh, you know, he's almost similar to the Cenobites in that is that his actions oh, yeah. are mm. some of the stuff that he does is so like repulsive and taboo and just oh yeah then yeah. you just but then you can't help to be just watch him you know and think that he's just a fascinating character you know he did this didn't he there's like the whole implication that he wants to fuck Kirsty yeah yeah, mm. yeah there is every time just makes me cringe internally. Oh, it's gross. Yeah, yeah. there's a definite theme through that. Yeah. It's all about the implication. Yeah. <laughs> all about the implication. And kind of what Robbie said there makes makes an interesting point as well, because obviously in the later films, like in the second one especially, you see like Chenard get turned into a Cenobite. Yeah. And you see like all of the other characters in the third one get turned into Cenobites. Now, we talk about Frank, we talk about Julia, because obviously in the second one, Julia is skinless and all that sort of yeah. stuff. What is it about those two characters that meant that they weren't eligible to become Cenobites? Because you mentioned Frank being like this really evil, kind of like morally bankrupt character. Surely he would be the ideal candidate for them to turn into a Cenobite. Well, but it never really seems that there's way. There's a comment that Pinhead makes where it's when um, Kirsty says to them, like, I know where Frank is, I can give them back to you. And Pinhead makes a comment about wanting his confession. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that's part of it because neither of them ever confess to what they've done. Maybe, yeah. 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 I didn't think of like it. Like that, that must be a requirement. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I think whilst we're... I think embrace it. There is a little bit of that embracing the evil that you've done. Yeah. Nothing about it that kind of you need to give in but you also need to fully embrace what's going to come before so if you're not embracing the horrors that you've done or the wrong deeds that you've created then you're not going to take to almost our level of yeah maybe the Cenobite. <laughs> yeah um but whilst we kind of because we haven't really spoke about Kirsty a whole lot um 
And I think I think Kirsty and Ashley Lawrence, yeah, Bay. Um, I think you know she is she's a great um, kind of final girl. Um, I've I always thought that not only was she kind of extremely kind of good looking, um, which I think is obvious to anybody with eyes, but I always thought that she looked um, a lot like Winona Ryder. Yes. Yeah, yeah she looks agree. a lot like Winona Ryder. Um, but it, she's as a character, it's, it's strange because. She, we're introduced to her and then we go long periods of time without seeing her. Um, and she does have this random, like shitty boyfriend. Like uh, there's that point where, you know, they're at a dinner party and then he puts like a cigarette in his mouth and she's really impressed by that. And I was like, what? I was like, Why are you so <laughs> impressed by that? Like, any, does it quite yeah. crack with the rest of her character? <laughs> no. I, I mean, yeah, I mean to be to be the fa- the fact that she's like the daughter of Cuck Daddy makes yeah. me kind of think that she's easily impressed by anything because Maybe. he's such a wet fish of a human being. She's probably like, oh my god, like this is so I'm so dangerous and bad. <laughs> yeah, I've got a cigarette in my mouth. He almost makes her want to be like the rebel, doesn't she? Yeah, she's, she is trying a bit to be. <laughs> and it's a shame because we get her a lot more in the sequel, um, mm-hmm. and but in this film. We obviously she's kind of established relatively early on, but then we don't see her for large chunks. I'm sure maybe there's like 25 minutes, half an hour, where we don't really see her, and it focuses on Julia going to these going to these bars and you know meeting these men. And there was a really funny thing that you found where um, one of the guys uh, felt that because obviously Julia's luring meeting these men at bars and then it's luring them up into the to the attic for Frank to kill so he can come back. Um, and uh, there was a, a really interesting bit where uh, where Julia murders murders one of them. Um, and the actor playing the victim, I'm not sure which one exactly it is. I think it may be the first one, where, which we see properly kind of get into his undies. Um, and apparently that character felt that it made sense for him to get fully naked. So they shot it of him fully naked. Um, and then they were like, no, actually put your pants on. And I just find it really funny that this actor who probably, you know, had a really small role was just like, why don't I just be naked? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like a really random thing to bring in. I kind of get it though, because you look at the type of men that she's luring back, they yeah. it kind of almost speaks to, I guess, his character would just be so excited that a woman like that would pay him any attention that the first thing he would do is just get naked, <laughs> like naked. <laughs> No, no foreplay, nothing. Just drops trout straight away. Yeah. <laughs> Stands but there. It's really, it's really interesting though because you mentioned about Percy, and obviously in this movie, we never get a sense of the sort of final girl. I, I think this movie is part of the reason why she's probably not as well regarded by many in the um, kind of pantheon of final girls. And obviously, she gets a lot more to do in the sequel. The sequel is basically like her movie, the majority yeah. of it. Um, but she actually does come back in one of the sequels um, and she's sort of, she's married and it's like 25 years later and she gets killed. And it's all about like her husband kind of dealing with her death and stuff like okay. that. And it's kind of a weird um, ending for her character. But then I don't know if you guys know, in the most recent run of the comics, she actually becomes Pinhead. Yeah, I heard that she mm. becomes a Cenobite. In one so of it's them. kind of interesting as well to kind of, see them because exp- there's no sense of p- how she would react if she was taken to the hell world in the yeah. comic like, ever get the sense of 
she's interested in that kind of thing or she's interested in um, opening the box. She just wants to close it and just fuck off with Steve and go work at a pet shop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in terms that they take her character in. But one of the things I wanted to ask you guys, um, I actually have a question. I feel proud. Lovely. Um, Prepared. <laughs> how, how do you guys feel about Julia always being envisioned as the main villain of the franchise? Because Clive Barker said he saw Julia being the main villain of the franchise. And obviously in the first two movies, they, are, they do wrap up the story. But how would you have felt if the franchise had solely been the Julia show rather than sort of becoming about Pinhead? I don't really know. I mean, because like you said, you know, we get in the first film, obviously the, the one we're discussing today, she is more kind of subservient to Frank and she is very much Frank's minion. And then in the second film, obviously Julia comes back without the skin this time and she takes on a more villainous role. And we do see, we do briefly see Frank in hell, which is a beautiful scene. Um, but in terms of her being kind of a villain going forward. I don't know. It's, it's hard because the Lament configuration and the Cenobites and Pinhead in particular is, is so iconic now. It's hard to think of Hellraiser as a franchise without Pinhead. I mean, a lot, if you, if you were to show somebody Pinhead and they have a relatively decent knowledge of, of films, then they would probably call him Hellraiser. You know, I've I've have heard people yeah, yeah. before call Pinhead Hellraiser. Yeah. You know, so he's so kind of integral to the franchise. And my kind of suspicions is um, that that they focus too much on Pinhead in the further sequels that they kind of get away from a lot of the actual story and it being about the the lament configuration. But I I, I don't know. I I don't think it would have been. I mean, I was about to say, I don't think it, the franchise would have done as well, but it's known to be quite a shit franchise after the second <laughs> film. So it, I don't know, but I can't imagine it getting to its 11th film if it had just been Julia, to be honest. That was our pinhead. But then I always thought, I always, because I hadn't really read into that, that fear. I, I'd heard that kind of idea before, but I never really read into it. But, uh, from what I had heard of it, I always thought that was more from the perspective of the idea that Clive Barker always saw that the Cenobites actually were never the villains of the piece. When I watched yeah. the film, I never actually get the feeling like Pinhead and the Cenobites actually are really the monsters. I get the feeling like they're the ones almost doling out the justice that's given to yeah. me. Like, for instance, in the first one, Frank is. But I could also see how Clive Barker could see it as Julia is almost the villain of these in the way of what the Cenobites are trying to achieve and almost to, with Clive Barker's gothic kind of weird mind that in his mind the Cenobites are actually the one who are doling out the justice within our worlds and that Julie's actually Julie is actually the one that gets in the way constantly of this yeah. within the first two films but I had actually heard the whole that she's actually like would have been the full-on villain in that like in that way i can't even imagine how that would no. work in my head I, I can't even see how that would go especially not replacing pinhead <laughs> yeah. yeah i think that's clive barker's like big talent though is you look at his his monsters like yeah. pinhead's not really a villain he's just he does what he does because that's what he does yeah candy man's not really a villain no 
then what are they called the creatures nightbreed the nightbreed they're not villains they're the monsters of the film but they're not the villains they yeah. do what they do I, don't they you know yeah <laughs> They're just trying to survive, and I feel like it's the same with Candy Man. He's, he's just trying to get revenge for what happened. And Pinhead's really just doing his job. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's kind of it. It's an <laughs> odd S M job, but it's an odd. <laughs> yeah, somebody's got to do it. Okay. Yeah, somebody's got to do it. Monsters is that none of them are actually monsters. It's normally the humans. Yeah. That yeah. are the monsters stories, which I really love, and I think it's a very Clive Barker esque view of the. Uh, no, yeah, I, I love I love it too. There's the fact and that's what I said about the Julian Frank part is is fine to me. I, I I like them in that kind of weird the, the fact that they've got this weird eroticism throughout it. Yeah, but as I said about the special effects and with the special effects come the Cenobites, and he gives this weird kind of emotional layer to the monsters that you don't get in many horror. He really knows how to handle. I kind of always wish that Clive Barker would work a little bit more with. <laughs> someone else like his ideas his approach to monsters but i feel like he needs some help in the other scripting areas of his story sometimes <laughs> and uh, you would have a master if you could get someone who's a little bit more with the human characters and he could take the monsters like if you could get someone who's really good at character driven pieces you could have a masterpiece of horror if you balance it out a little bit more Candyman obviously is very good in some ways for human parts and the, yeah. the monstrous parts but I, I do think there's that balance there that I do love that like almost deeper layer that we have with it and how Pinhead is born. Is that am I mixing up films in my head? Is this the do we see the how no. Pinhead's this this sequel, the, isn't it? Or is it the first? That's one? the third one. Is it the third yeah, one? The third one is, my mind's jumping yeah. somewhere else. In this one, I mean, so in, in two you see him in the human form yeah. for the first time. Yeah. The third one, we get Elliot Spencer. Yeah, Elliot Spencer. Yeah, that whole thing. World War Two. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. That's the part I remember. I haven't seen the second or third, but I know all about his backstory because of fucking Tumblr. Yeah, Yeah. because he has the same name as a character in a show I love. So whenever I search that, (laughs) it just comes up. And I'm like, oh, now I know the backstory. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, going speaking of, about the Cenobites and the role in the story, it is that we, you know, we see them at the start and then they're kind of leaked throughout the film. You know, when Frank first comes back, he's like, they can't find me. He doesn't, he doesn't kind of explicitly go the Cenobites and then give us loads of kind of info dump. But, you know, they're, they're kind of dropped in, in and out. But apparently, um, you know, they were never supposed to get kind of as big as they did you know and pinhead wasn't wasn't supposed to be so much the the leader of them but when you when you look at a lot of the the iconic quotes of pinhead and then you know friday we'll see the 11th film in the in the franchise coming out but so a lot of them are in the first one so you get you know the box you opened it we came um no tears please it's a waste of good suffering we have such sights to show you. We'll tear your soul apart. Yeah, this isn't for your eyes. I love that one. All of the, I always use that one. I mean, that's the, he, he got the best <laughs> lights. Yeah, that's my, my favorite, favorite one as well. Angels to some, demons to others. Yeah, is, the, is my. I, I just love that line. It's See, so optimistic. So I haven't seen the rest of the films. Um, I've only seen this one, and like I know, apparently after three, it drops in quality significantly. But is three not the last one we have Doug? No, 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 no. Um, Doug Bradley's in eight of them, then nine is a different line, and then 
it's a different guy. Did I like Doug? Yeah. I've seen pictures of the other pinheads. They don't look right. They don't, it do really, they? Is they it, don't. Is, it really blood, is Bloodlines the one where he looks really weird? Like everyone always points out how odd it is. Is it Bloodlines? Blood I, I don't know. No, Bloodline is the fourth one. That's um, the, oh, that's the fourth Revelation one. or Judgment are the two, where it's a different guy. I think Judgment is the one where he looks like he's a guy wearing a robber mask. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a friend of ours uh, actually got a rubber pinhead mask for Halloween um, and it was like 10 quid. They got it from eBay or something and they said it's the most ridiculous thing and it just stinks of fags. <laughs> it just smells of cigarettes so much they couldn't wear it. Um, I'll try and find a picture and send it to Yeah, it's, a, it's like a wish mask. Doug's performance is really what makes... Pinhead, Pinhead. And I think if they'd had anyone else play him, I don't know if the character would have become as beloved. Well, well he, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing Jamie play her iteration. Yes. That'll be it really, would be interesting. I would think Jamie's version. Yeah, I don't like because uh, obviously there's low there is loads of you know backlash and things like that not to, to delve into right now but i i don't get because obviously we know that it's described as a creature who's not meant to be of any specific gender or origin it's meant to look as if they are completely and if you've seen the pictures of what jamie looks like matches the bill i wouldn't necessarily yeah. say it's female or male it just yeah. is whatever that is that you're looking at is just a it is a complete they of a creature yes yeah. And that's it. And there were, yeah, there was there was massive upheaval about it, wasn't it? Which is, we, it's strange when anybody kind of makes that much of a fuss about films. But I, I, a small part of me gets it because you know if you grow up with a film and then you know it's such a part of you and you know you you have such a fondness to it. If somebody suddenly wants to like change it. It's kind of like, why? You know, you've got that. But so there's a small part of me who can kind of understand it, but a large part does think, like, you know, it's entertainment, it's a film. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm uh, very excited to see what Jamie does. Yeah. And, you know, I know we're watching it together to do an episode for it, but I might watch it with my mum. <laughs> I think Hellraiser is my mum's favourite film. Yeah, do oh, it. Really? <laughs> been, I remember being a kid and, like, the the video cupboard <laughs> older. the video cupboard like we had the Hellraiser box set on video with Pinhead down the side of it yes <laughs> I've seen that but yeah. I've never never had it had that. and it was like in the back of the video cupboard when I was a kid so I knew who Pinhead was from a very young age <laughs> I want to see what my mum makes of Jamie as yeah and Pinhead think, yeah and I think it gets like another thing is as much as we love these kind of like iconic characters, you've got to remember that, you know, this film was like 40 years ago and people age. I mean, I don't know if you ever saw the, um, the Freddie um, Robert England came back for uh, it was like a mad TV or something like that. Like five yeah, years ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He did. You know, he came back as Freddie for, yeah. for a little skit, the Goldbergs. Yeah. And it was great for a little skit, but I wouldn't want to watch a film of that because it, it was very clear that this is like a 70 year old man in, who's acting. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, yeah. yes, I, 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 you know, I think Doug Bradley is incredible as Pinhead, but he isn't, you know, 
30 or 40 years old anymore like if we get a pinhead and they and it's doug bradley are they going to digitally you know a dh him how are they going to do it without it, it looking like pinhead your granddad's come to take your soul you know it's unfortunate but it kind of gets to that you know yeah yeah you know <laughs> what do you guys think of pinhead in like the pantheon of horror characters obviously in this movie, he's used quite sparingly, but like I think his entrance, the first time you see him, is absolutely iconic. And, yeah. and how do you guys view him in the larger world when you put him against guys like Freddy, Jason, Chucky, etc.? I, I mean, for for personal for personal perspective, I mean, I guess because I, I I knew Pinhead because I hadn't seen the film for such a long time, he. He doesn't get to higher bar for me as say Michael or no. Freddie or you know I I, I appreciate it I, like as you said that opening scene and again part of what makes this amazing as I mentioned to you earlier Rob was how good the theme of oh, this film theme. is is how powerful it is right from the opening it makes him scarier there's something about the character that just adds to it that music in the background yeah. adds the theme. But also the fact that he has the best lines. He he has lines that I do I do think because uh, we were talking about Clive Barker before the writing. I I think there is so so poetic about Clive Barker's writing. The way he describes things like is so poetic in that yeah. way. It sounds almost like you're doing some kind of metaphors. You know, like you're really going into deeper imagery with the way he's talking about things. For me, that's the part that raises Pinhead to that kind of level. It, it, like the deaths, obviously, are, are, are incredible, but that kind of way that he talks and he has such a kind of non-reaction at times. It, it's literally he—he he is just observing. He's standing. He's he. There's a complete part of it where you look at him like he is looking at them like they're a certain eternal. There's there's a there's non-ending here. Like he's lived so long and he can just see it like playing out. And he's like, "You are nothing to me." that I kind of love about him. But because all the others came first in my repertoire, I think they still are slightly higher for me. Um, I mean, there's all, you've, you've got like your big three, you know, Michael, Freddie and Jason, um, who were obviously, you know, they're the goats and they're, they're, at, the, they're at the top of the pile. <laughs> I, would, I would put him, you know, uh, pinhead. I'd, I'd stick him in, in your like... In your B ranking, you know your category B. I, uh, he's up there for me. I'd put him up there with with Candyman, with Chucky. I don't particularly like Chucky, but I three favorites. Yeah, I put I put them in for B people, ranking. It's, uh, uh, we're having literal physical reactions. We're yes, seeing we, are. we are. Yeah, we're having that. We did an episode before this, and Rob had a bit of that when I said I'm not a fan of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah, you know, but yeah, <laughs> that's there the you go. He's walking away. He's walking away. Left the building. Literally, say he's going to yeah. leave. But well, I said I choked you like <laughs> You said after you're going to choke me to death. But right now we'll keep recording. We keep civil. So yeah, I think you know he he's an iconic character. Chucky's iconic. Candyman's iconic. But I, you know, they're not. I don't think they're quite up there for me. So like Freddie, Michael, Jason. So basically, the top we're, we're basic horror bitches. <laughs> yeah, you know. they, we like the most the, basic of ones. <laughs> like I think you could show a picture of. Chucky to somebody and they'd be like you yeah I think he's in you know he's in that film about a kid they'd say he's in Chucky they might say he's in Chucky they might say that or <laughs> and you could show a picture of Pinhead to somebody and they'd probably go 
yeah, I've seen that guy about, you know, but it, it's not like, oh yeah, I know that I've seen that film or anything, you know, that's for me. I kind of, that's where I put him. I put him in B, you know, he's a, he's a strong one, you know, <laughs> but he's not quite, he's not quite the goat, you know. What about you what guys? About you guys? <laughs> so I, I kind of agree with what, what you guys kind of said. I would probably swap out Michael Myers though and put him, Along because I I'm not a huge fan of Michael Myers. I find Michael Myers to be all right. Let's end this. Boring. That's that's <laughs> I mean, this is, this is he's my, my number one. So that's me. He's this number is, one. This yeah. is my guy, Jason. Um, so I'd have Jason and Freddy and probably Pinhead, but I think that's just because I'm a fucking weird perv and I'm like <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, but it's it's fascinating though because he's he like. We, we, this is one thing we discovered when we started doing the podcast is I, I grew up with like Freddie, Jason and Michael, much like yourselves. So those are like my go to guys. Whereas since we've been doing the podcast, Lee's discovered that she likes sort of other characters. Haven't yeah. You? So my my like top horror characters are like Pinhead, um, Candyman, yeah. Chucky and Tiffany. I like them as a set. And then probably like Sam from Trick or Treat and Ash and Ash Meagle Dead. Ash is yeah, Ash is (laughs) class. Don't rate Freddy, Michael, or Jason. In fact, they're really low. The only thing that makes me like Jason at all (laughs) is there's a comic book called Camp Counselor Jason. Nice. If you've ever seen it, she's on like Instagram, and but she makes comic books of Jason but it's like if Jason was just one of the camp counselors he's still scarred and wears his mask but <laughs> him like working at the camp and hanging out with the kids he goes on a date with Carrie at one point and he nice. hangs out with um, <laughs> Michael and Laurie as like they're like actual siblings and just really friendly I love that I would have to see <laughs> that like the, the sole reason that I actually like any of those characters is that comic book <laughs> 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 they can't um, Freddy, I think, is the most overrated horror villain in existence. Nah. Sorry. I can't. That movie, that first Friday the 13th movie, is the Nightmare most boring. Like, we are. Nightmare Elm <laughs> Street. The most boring pile of shit, closely followed by Halloween. Uh, <laughs> part, part of the reason why. I'm, I'm ending. Halloween. Part of the reason why I brought up the Pinhead thing is at two various different points, he has nearly crossed over with the big three. Yeah, he so he was been. originally meant to be in the original ending of Freddy vs. Jason. So there was a pitched yeah. ending for Freddy vs. Jason where they get pulled to hell, and he is in hell, and you see him as the hell priest. The chains come up, they pull them down, and he looks at them both and says, so what appears to be the problem, gentlemen? And that was how the film was going to end. I'd have loved that. And then I watched something the other day where he was originally at one point going to cross over with... Um, Michael Myers yes. and they were going to do a film called Halloween and like they were talking about all the different options of like how basically I think the long and the short of it was that Michael Myers was a Cenobite basically so little mini Michael Myers got hold of the uh, box right. when he was yeah. a kid basically got taken over by a Cenobite and that was why he's unkillable um, so a band somewhere. Was that <laughs> about that? Uh, I kind of wondered if him crossing over with those, like basically when they made Freddy vs. Jason, New Line and Warner Brothers went, no, the character's too low rent. It's not going to do anything for mm. our sales. But like, I wondered if him crossing over with any of those characters would have made him more popular 
But then yeah. I'm like, I don't know because it's different audiences. I feel like. So, yeah, it is. And yeah. from, uh, I feel like I feel like it would have made them him more popular. Yeah. I feel um, like jumping into that. I feel like they might have redesigned him a little bit to make him fit in, like the way he acts, the way yeah. he talks. They might have tried to fit it more in well, with those franchise, which might have been bad. Or I mean, Halloween alone, it, it's out. It, like it for a horror fan, like I would, de- I would check it out completely. But it yeah. sounds like a terrible <laughs> film. It, well, actually, that's in the that's in the Halloween resurrection kind of phase <laughs> of we, like, what can we do now? We've run out we, of things yeah. to do. Whilst we talk <laughs> about Halloween, I might have watched a similar video to you, but they then came up with one called um, Halloween in Hell, which was the second one. Um, And it was going to be a similar-ish idea. Um, And they were going to have um, Kirstie Lawrence come back and Michael was going to kill her and she was going to say to Pinhead, you know, at least, you know, at least you didn't get me. And that's, you know, why they were going to fight. But then they they, they tried to come up with a way in which they could do it. And they approached both Clive Barker to write the story and John Carpenter to direct it. And they both said, yes, they do it because apparently they're both massive fans of each other's work. But then Mustafa Akkad, who's the producer of Halloween um, and kind of the rights holder, he has some very strict rules about who, about what can happen. And one of them is that, this is what I find really funny. He says that one of them is that Michael has to stay grounded so we can't cross over with the Cenobites, but it's fine for him to be, uh, you know, cursed by ancient druids. That's completely fine. Um, or to hang out with Buster Rhymes. Or to hang out with Buster Rhymes. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so it's a really weird concept, but it would have been it. I would have watched that film. It would be really. I I think it probably would have been shit, but I'd have watched yeah. it. You know, just it for was, the sake of it. Was, oh yeah, it was a Joe Blow video. I watched. That's it. That's what I watched. Yeah. We mentioned because Josh Josh Stolberg, who wrote the last two Saw movies, he was one of the guys. He, he did Sorority Row and the last two Saw movies. He was one of the writers on one of the original pictures. And like he follows both of our accounts on Twitter. And I kind of DM'd him the other day and I was like, someone, you want to talk to me about that unmade uh, Halloween movie? And I was like, <laughs> he was like very like tight lipped about it. And I was like, oh, I, I wonder if it's something he can't talk about. But I tried to kind of oh, push awesome. him a bit, a bit more information. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome yeah that's so good man um, all of these alternative films these worlds that, that we, we could have had, had man. to be fair one thing that I love about this is the crazy alternative titles that we could oh, have yeah. had for this film <laughs> for, for Hellraiser the ones that were thrown around which just sound like they weren't actual titles and yet they're things that they've got on record to say like yeah we were literally considering <laughs> ones like Sod- uh, Sodomasochists from Beyond the Grave <laughs> Which they sound like uh, a band that would open up the Sisters of Mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Earlier, I thought it was sodomists from Beyond the Grave, but you know that was. Yeah, I mean, ro- I got it wrong. Still has the eroticism, I guess. Uh, and Barker, he li- he said he says by it uh, that he says one of the very English proper ladies working on the set who said her idea was it should be called uh, "What a Woman Will Do for a Good Fuck." <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, yeah. Beans. Yeah, she's not wrong. She's not. I mean, she's kind. She kind of is wrong because Frank doesn't, like you said earlier, it's it's not. It doesn't look like it was an insane fuck, you know. Yeah, Just a little bit of piping, you know. There wasn't anything too insane, you know. Yeah, I I think that's enough. I think that was again that was due to the the studio being like, 
it, Clive Barker has said he they they literally they filmed and had much more sex in the in the script. They had things like spanking involved and yeah. all of this kind of, and the, the studio were just like, no, <laughs> yeah, we're no. not having any of that. So yeah, he had to replace all of the erotic sex with a flip knife. Basically, is what he said. Yeah, like just tone to... <laughs> it down, Clive. Tone it down. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Spanking in this movie. I'm like, okay. And then 30 years later, we got Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. So the most mental thing is this video came out in 19. This, this film came out in 1987. I'm gonna I'm gonna show you the other side of my interests now when I say this. <laughs> Five years, five years later, Madonna released her sex book and Madonna released all of the videos for like erotic and stuff like that, where it's literally got pictures of her being like bound up, spanked, slapped, yeah. choked, all kinds of shit in it. And you can buy that shit over the counter. And they're like, no, nah, man, we can't have some some dowdy housewife getting spanked by a brother-in-law. It will ruin the rules. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I literally... This th- that book that's weird. That book I I'd literally never heard of the book before until the other week I was helping my dad clear out his attic and I found that book in the middle of the attic. <laughs> it was in a bit. It was. It looks. It stands out because it's in like this metal casing and you're yeah. like open. I was like, what the hell is this book? <laughs> it literally could have been like in a horror movie. Like, what? I'm gonna read this book now. Yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't. But yeah, then it was just pictures of Madonna getting all kinds of things done. To- <laughs> I was just like, I've never seen this before. You can't have that. That's far way too, way too far. You actually see the scene at some point and literally just taps her on the bum and calls her a bad girl once. And they're like, yeah. too far. Too far. Yeah. Clive Barker actually said that the footage of the spanking scene after that happened, that they have no idea where it went. So they filmed <laughs> it, but they have no idea where that. So somewhere out there, someone has this spanking scene. Somebody, yeah, somebody's probably just... Burned. One day it will leak. Yeah, one day it will leak. <laughs> Um, well, I guess we should probably jump to the very end of the film when you know the Cenobites find that was a long tangent. That was a very long, long tangent. tangent. Yeah, I think the only thing you have on, on your podcast, you get tangents. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I think the only Basically, thing we didn't mention that I, I just like about the form is I fucking the, the best part of Frank's whole change is the the f- the skinless form oh he's just, just there in the attic i just yeah. i just want to and he's show walking the appreciation for how good he fucking looks in that yeah scene. yeah and he's smoking a dart and he just looks cool man. in all the in all the sequels actually as well that form is just always amazing like just the way you look at it but i i always love that whole the blood coming down the wall as he's like writing yeah. with it like on the walls and like him in that form is just yeah, that is that was probably my favorite part of the, like the film in one way. Is just the fact the part when he's just like hanging about, just skinless. Just vibing. Yeah, <laughs> it is so cool, man. Um, but yeah, once we get to the actual scene where they kind of get Frank, um, and you know, we you know we get there and then we see that Frank's wearing his brother's skin, which is pretty <laughs> fucked up. Um, and then he kills Julia, doesn't he? Um, and I never know if it's an accident or not. Because it kind of looks as if it is. It kind of looks as if it isn't. To me, it's always a bit ambiguous. Does he kill her? The original stabbing is accidental because he's aiming for Kirsty. Yeah. But yeah. he follows through because he pulls the life out of her. Yeah. Because he says, he's like, it's nothing personal. Yeah, yeah, I think it is. I, I it's. De- I think it's accidentally. But then, yeah, there is that full on just draining of just like, well, I, fuck yeah. it, I guess I've done it now. So let's let's get it on. Now, let's just kill her. Fuck yeah. it. 
Just fuck. Drain those well, I guess she's done all she she needed for him. So boom, yeah. it off her, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, you know. Oh, oh, you guys go. Yeah, you guys. <laughs> you first, Simon. I think one of the creepiest scenes in this movie is when he's got Larry's face on, and he goes up to Kirsty and he goes, "Come to Daddy." Yeah, while wearing her dad's <laughs> face again. <laughs> We're just like this dude. Not only wants to fuck his niece, but he wants to do it while wearing her dad's face. It's That's fucked like up, the, isn't it? The yeah. like, it's so weird. That's some <laughs> deeply fucked up. That's more than that's more than that's more than Leatherface kind of level of fucked, fucked up, up kind of like skin wearing. It's so class, yeah. you know. And that whole run up is obviously Kirsty rushes home. She's really worried that like. Frank's gonna kill her dad, and then she sees her dad. But she's like, you look at him, and like it does look like the face is like quite fitting properly, and he's got all this gooey gunk yeah. all around his head, and she's not even a little bit suspicious. Yeah, it's so weird. She's <laughs> just like, like I'm a little bit suspicious about that. In all honesty, I'd be like, well, what are you doing? Yeah, and then when his face droops down, and he just like puts it back up, you know. <laughs> it, it, but then obviously the Cenobites so catch him. And that's a really cool scene, you know. Maybe she just thinks he's catching a lot of nails today. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> another nail he's fallen into. Awesome. Nail after nail. Awesome. What is the, what's the creature? Um, so I think we've, the scene, oh. is the scene I've talked about is before. What's the big-ass creature that chases Kirsty through the fucking hospital? So it's called the Engineer. And apparently, that's my guy. Yeah, that's my, yeah, he's my guy. He apparently, they, they are designers of the hell basically and it's really interesting i don't i only caught caught this when i watched it last night as well but the first time we see it the engineer and the first very first shot of it running after kirsty you could see the mechanism behind it that it's mounted on you can very quickly see it kind of going along like tracking and then the other two or three shots you get of it they must have clocked on and you can't see it anymore. But I went back and I watched it and I watched it a couple of times just to make sure. But if you look down at the bottom, you can see like the wheels that they've obviously put this machine on. And it's so oh, funny. It's a great scene where Kirsty's blatantly running on a treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So obviously a treadmill is my favourite. I love thing. it. Yeah. It's so good. No, no, the engineers about that. They're, yeah. they're like, because it says it at first, doesn't it? Like they're redeemed as to be either angels or demons, but they just explore us from another dimension. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it's so cool. And when you know when she's in the hospital and she opens it, we we first see the engineer, and then obviously we 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 see we see him again later. You know, he gets another appearance. But yeah, Frank's uh, death as Larry is. It's so gross, you know, getting pulled apart with the with the trains, and it's kind. Of, I love it because it's so, you know, uh, we get this like massive swell and orchestral pieces, and then it, you know, as it's kind of pulling him to his very kind of limit, everything just cuts out. And originally, he was supposed to say "fuck you," um, but he ad libbed saying "Jesus wept," which I just absolutely love. But I never know how to take it because I've, there's so there's so many different interpretations of it, you know. Um, I don't. How did you guys interpret that? I think it's 
I think it's purposely ambiguous, but it kind of ties back to what you were saying about this always having been his destiny. Yeah. Like, if you consider, if you consider that the Cenobites collect souls, and if you believe in reincarnation, it, are are we saying that Frank's soul is destined to be going into different vessels? Which is why the gentleman says to him at the beginning, "It was always you. Yeah. Like it was always yours." Oh, their previous victim. Yeah, because there's the implication there that maybe in a past life Frank was privy to the crucifixion, and yeah. that's why he's in the kind of Christ-like pose, and he says, "Jesus wept." because he's kind of recounting something that he was witness to and he's sympathising in that really? moment of his, his moment of torture. Yeah. But then there's also just that it's a really fucking cool line. So yeah. <laughs> look at it and how deep you want to think about it. Because yeah. it's kind of like an existential kind of franchise, isn't it? It's all about yeah. like, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, I always kind of read it when he says the Jesus work, because obviously the whole point of the Cenobites is pain... Um, pain and pleasure being mixed together and how much pain before is just pain and pure pleasure I always read it as kind of like he realised that what it actually was and it was kind of like a oh I like this okay it's interesting I He's really, a little I, kinky fucker I really yeah. thought when you were talking about that you were going to go down the plane of pain and pleasure route of yeah so when Jesus was getting crucified <laughs> he was <laughs> I'm not going yeah. to the Jesus Ark. Why? I don't know why you're so obsessed with the Jesus Ark today, you weirdo. All He's I'm saying the is the Passion could be a Hellraiser movie. It could, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's a prequel, you know. <laughs> but I, I always thought of it as like a bit tongue-in-cheek, you know, because it's like, you know, he this is this is his the, the consequences of all of the, the shit that he's done in his life of being horrible and trying to chase like the ultimate pleasure and that, you know, that experience. And now he's finally got it and he's going to be tortured for eternity. So he's kind of like, well, you know, Jesus wept, you know, yeah. it's, you know, <laughs> it's like, Oh, well, tongue in cheek, you know, it's kind of on me. That's Horror the way I always kind of interpreted it. What about you? Eep? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, you've pretty nailed it on the head in my head now. I was, like, listening to you going, yeah, you're spot on. Um, I don't know. The whole... I mean, I was more thinking just just the ending in, in general. I was more thinking from a different perspective in my mind of just when I was viewing it the first time and things like that, of, like, this was the scene that cemented it in my mind, thinking like, I'd been, like, questioning the whole film, but this was the scene that cemented it, just, like is this kind of like heaven and hell kind of parable kind of in my yeah. mind with the whole, with the way Frank is at the end, but the, the way that he's just so, but for me, then the horror part of me just came out and went, instead of reading into it, I was just like, fucking hell, that's amazing when it gets pulled apart. Yeah. <laughs> it's just an absolutely brutal and, you know, from the scene seeing it, it's just an absolutely brutal scene, but it's also like, Frank's such a like hate but you love him kind of character. Yeah. So it's so interest it's it's so interesting the way that you're feeling like the one way you enjoy him and another way you can't wait for this fucked up guy to get pulled apart <laughs> yeah. in such a violent way from heaven and hell. And then it's so it's I mean it's just so amazingly done. And then we kind of expect that that's going to be the end of the film because they've made this, you know, they've made this deal with Kirsty that 
you give us Frank and we won't take you for opening the box. And then the Cenobites are just like, well, you know, for, you know, why'd you believe us? The Cenobites, and they just betray <laughs> her. You know? that, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and I said that to... Simon for one. I was like, there's a whole bit where like the Senate boys turn on Kirsty. But when you watch the scene back, they don't actually agree to the deal. No, they don't. They say no. maybe, don't they? Maybe. So they never actually renege on the deal because they never make one. And that's an error on Kirsty's part. You need to get it in writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or deals with demons, yeah. If anything, these demons yeah. they're not from our dimension, so they're not really bound to our kind of codes of conduct are they you know no, it no. needs to be signed in frank's blood yeah <laughs> signed in frank's blood you can't you know you wouldn't give you wouldn't give a loan to a cenobite you know they're not going to pay you back they have no concept so you can't make a deal with them they're just going to be like well nah <laughs> like we made a deal nah check yeah mind. they're beyond this world which i like i, I like the idea of that though the fact yeah, that I'm there good. are no bounds on this the fact that it's not just a clean and cut kind of way to end the film it is definitely another thing that kind of raises the idea that it's not so, you know, clean. Yeah. You think you could just make a straight up deal with a creature of a hellbound world. Yeah. Like, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. And then everybody kind of gets there. I, the one thing I never got is Stephen just turns up at the house and does yeah. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. He is the most useless character in this film. Yeah. And like, we were we were discussing this earlier because we were like, what is his purpose in this movie, other than to just kind of give Kirsty a boyfriend, or to kind of give her something to do out when she's not on screen or when she's not part of the main narrative? And yeah, I just I can't can't understand what he shows up at the most random place. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's at their house, and then he's like he turns up at the hospital, and it's like, you know what. somehow going to be drawn into death yeah basically like yeah. he seems like the character that in any other horror franchise he would be the guy that was off about midway through to add an extra death into the film yeah like and yeah it never happened it's almost like while clive barker was doing the screenplay he suddenly went oh shit he was in this film <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly went oh i better do something or kirsty needs someone to arrive to help yeah or, no or he went out Shit, Kirsty hasn't had sex. <laughs> I need more sex. Yeah, and then it got all, all of the extra sex got yeah. cut. Because <laughs> there was a, there's a scene where it's there's a brief kind of sex scene between them, and I was like, what? I was like, am I watching some strange version of this, like extended cut? I've never seen this scene in like the seven or eight times I've watched this. And then I was like, oh yeah, he just turns up. Wait, is that one, is there a sex scene? Yeah. yeah. 
It's like, oh, it's an implied scene or something like that, you know? Oh, it implied the implication. Yeah, no. the implication. <laughs> but it's it's literally, I think the scenes that Stephen gets is he's he, he pipes her when she moves into a new place. He's at the dinner table doing the cigarette <laughs> trick. He's at the hospital, but I'm taking you your word for that, Simon, because I don't remember him being in that scene. And I then remember him at the, end, the hospital. That's the only one yeah. I actually remember. And at the end, he rocks up, just like imagine, like Let's I don't know, this yeah. collapsing house. Imagine I don't know how long they've been together, but imagine like you've got like a new partner, and you're just like, oh, I'm gonna go see what they're doing tonight. You walk into the house, and they're fighting demons from another <laughs> dimension. <laughs> you just be like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd be off. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> and then when she throws the box into a fire, you then see a homeless man emblaze himself in fire and then turn into a giant winged like dragon and then fly away. I'd be like, ah, oh, I think I don't think I want to be in this relationship anymore. <laughs> you know, back on Tinder. Oh, so, so, for some saying. people, they really want to be in that relationship yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for it. <laughs> I do love though that this film ends really open ended. Ended because obviously we get the weird skeletal dragon creature yeah. flying away, and then like there's just Kirsty and that like stood there. But the next scene is just it's the Chinese guy again yeah. at the table asking the same question that opens the film. Yeah, I love because it. The same line. And I like that it kind of is just a circular the idea that this has happened over and over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah. I love it. And it always begins and ends the same way. I think it's yeah. really cool. And I it's think kind of that way... idea of like hell is never ending, isn't it? Like, yeah, there's always going to be food for the machine in that sort of sense. There's always going to be people that are looking to explore yeah. these sort of situations. Yeah, things they should have been people never learn. Yeah, people yeah. never learn from and, their mistakes. And I think knowing that it's not just like a random homeless man who turns into a dragon, you know, knowing that it is the same person and it's like a guardian of this box. And then that's how it ends up being given to a new owner for me kind of tightens the film up a little bit. And it's kind of, because before it was like, what? Like it just goes, but knowing that it's the same character and that it's a guardian of the box kind of, yeah. Links it all up really well. I think. No, it's, it's, it's a, it's a great ending. All I can think was when you said about the monster again and the fact that earlier on you said you called it the bone monster. <laughs> and from everything we've talked about in this episode, all I can imagine is just like a monster with a giant dong now. <laughs> a skeleton. <laughs> and funnily enough... It's... He's the bone monster. Or my brain's just gone to weird places now. I'm just literally... Uh, how was there not a Cenobite sex orgy scene? And how was there not... <laughs> All these things I feel like now should have... I feel like Clive Barker wanted, yeah. but didn't get. <laughs> I feel like the engineer should have had some little bollocks or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just a tiny little sack somewhere on it. Yeah, like, we see we see naked, skinless Frank at one point. We don't see, like, a skinless dick, though. Yeah, yeah. How, how do they not get skinless? <laughs> Hanging skinless, Hanging skinless dog. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I, I think. Am I the only person now that can't watch this movie with a straight face, watching Skinless Frank after seeing that meme of the jogger running from like, yes. the muffin <laughs> and it's like me, Frank from Hellraiser, after my skin. Yeah. So, like every time I see this movie, I just think of that that <laughs> sequence. I love it. But, like, so good. I, I, I love this movie for a multitude of different reasons. But I do think that they do, 
like I, I do wonder what would have happened if this movie had been in the hands of any other director. Yeah, like you, I'm with like you. you said, somebody that that maybe understood. Like I keep imagining what David Cronenberg's Hellraiser looks like. Yeah. Mm. You know, <laughs> I, someone who has the understanding not only of the monsters but the human creatures, but the effects work. Yeah. Because this came out around a similar time as The Fly. And if you imagine like Hellraiser directed by Cronenberg with a fly budget, and like insane. you know. You just imagine how good it could be. But I think also, I think in a weird way, Clive Barker is a director and creator who's obsessed with the idea of his monsters and what the monsters represent to him in his own life rather than the human characters. And I think that's represented not only in this movie with how Kirsty kind of almost plays third and fourth fiddle to like an adulteress, her shit dad, and a skinless nympho and like some <laughs> cenobites. Yeah. And then like, you look at like how Helen is represented in like Candyman. She's kind of second fiddle to, you know, she's involved in her own love triangle with her own shitbag husband. Yeah. And, like this well-spoken monster who kind of wants to take her away from this life. And I kind of do wonder if that's part of the failings of this movie is we we are never really sure who we're supposed to be rooting for like do we want are we rooting for the Cenobites are we rooting for Julia are we rooting yeah. for Frank are we rooting for Kirsty you know do we want Steve to fuck Kirsty in a train station like, <laughs> <laughs> like and I think that's kind of the only failing I think this movie has is there's no defining lines between who we're supposed to be rooting for because there are a lot of characters in this film that feel half-baked in a sense. It's like three movies trying to be pulled together. But, you know, I think it all comes together in the end. But there are large sections of this movie, like you guys said, where you're just like, what the fuck is happening? Like all the stuff with Julia and Frank is kind of like Hollyoaks on steroids. Yeah. (laughs) Got Kirsty, who's walking around just like apparently doing whatever the fuck she's doing. And then... You know, Pinhead's just sat there like, come on, man, somebody's Open getting the box. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. scenes with Kirsty just her like walking around. Yeah, industrial like, estates. And... Like she's going somewhere, but I don't know where it is. And in my head, I just think Kirsty's just super into jogging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't keep the rest of the film, is she's just going and hunting out jogging spots. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. you can't say it's a perfect film in that way because. It's just, you can tell that Clive Park, Barker was just making stuff up as he was going along. Yeah. And the, I think a lot of the actors didn't probably didn't even know exactly what they were doing half of the time. Yeah. You know, I think, I'm pretty sure the actress who played Julia uh, has said that it was a bit of a just like she had no clue what was going on. And half the time it was just like, go bang this dude, <laughs> go bang this dude. And uh, yeah, I, I believe, yeah. Yeah. Because she, she's even said she's never even watched. Like she's she's only watched like ten minutes of the film. That's kind of why I love it though, because it's it's so unconventional, and there's something about it which is feels very like unique and like only Clive Barker could have probably yeah. pulled it pulled it off. You know, there's it, and there's something about it being in in Britain, and it I don't know. There's a there's a certain feeling it gets and certain nuances. I had this when Black Mirror stopped being made in you know by British people and was then taken up by Netflix and done by Americans and it lost 
part of what made it interesting and part of it lost a lot of it i think and i think that's maybe where because because both of the first two films are set in england and then the future you know three onwards are predominantly apart from being set in space and you know in back in in like i had no clue about the space yeah, one I back in italy or <laughs> most of them are all set in america and i think there's something maybe about it not having clive barker's influence over it that kind of i don't know maybe that's where they struggle and it it will be interesting to see how the new one on friday how it manages it because like you said it's not it's an adaption of the novel it's kind of not tied into the franchise that's already there so it's got to be it'll be really interesting to see how they do it particularly without because obviously clive barker wrote the story so he will have a lot of ideas behind it and he'll know what those ideas were like or, or how to flesh them out so it'll be interesting to see somebody else's adaption of that and the interpretation of of hellraiser and the cenobites and and all of that you know yeah because i can't is clive is clive barker involved with I, this one at all i don't know i because there was a hellraiser tv show that was also meant to be at the same time and i can't remember if which one he was involved with with the tv show or this movie yeah so from what i know he is a producer in name only on the film. yeah David Bruckner and Jamie Clayton both said in an interview recently that he was very forthcoming with information. So they went to him and were like, this is what we're planning to do. Like, this are our ideas. Have you got any input? And apparently he was very giving with his time and he kind of gave a lot of input and gave a lot of ideas. Um, The TV series. Now, this is, I think this is where, this is what's going to divide people. The TV series is being done by HBO. But, it's being done by David Gordon Green, who's oh. done the most recent Halloween trilogy. Yeah, that's the one I remember now. Yeah. <laughs> I think this is going to be what divides people because yeah. David Bruckner, a lot of people have, you know, he, he built up a lot of goodwill with The Night House being an insane movie. Yeah. But a lot of people don't like this new Halloween trilogy and yeah. the fact that he's doing an Exorcist trilogy as well. Yeah. Um, but I think it all depends. I think now going down the more of the Pinhead is going to be a man. We're going to kind of follow what the movie sort of did, the original trilogy. Whereas this was more of a, let's kind of take the original novel as a jumping off point and then expand out to kind of explore different pockets of what this, you know, because at this point, this is a franchise that's been set in the 18th century and space and the future all in the same movie. (laughs) One of these movies has got a Hellraiser convention where the Hellraiser movies have become their own online game like Warcraft and a bunch of people go to a Hellraiser convention. That's the movie that's got Henry Cavill in it in his first film role who gets a blowjob and then subsequently that gets killed by a Cenobite straight after. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Was directed by Scott Derrickson who did Sinister and The Black Phone. So there's a lot of like weird, but a lot of like every sequel from four to 10 was a script that wasn't written as a Hellraiser movie. It was something that the Weinsteins acquired and then wrote Hell, like wrote the yeah. Cenobites into it. But it is interesting because I've, I've obviously, we'll talk more about this in the next episode, but David Bruckner said that he turned around and watched all of the, all of the other 10 films 
read a lot of the novels and wanted Clive Barker's approval and wanted to have the man on hand to kind of know where his film was going. Whereas I think David Gordon Green is just like, like he did with Halloween, he's like, nah, just gonna just gonna do my own thing. Just uh, gonna do just gonna do this thing over here, guys. Like, you know. So I think it's gonna be interesting to see how the yeah. two the two yeah, properties turn out. <laughs> well, I mean, have, have any, has anybody got any more comments on the yeah. original? Uh, it was... you anything else to say? No, I'm good. <laughs> no, oh right. well, I mean, uh, no, we... <laughs> before we end, you know. Um... <laughs> I will say, I, I will ask you one question because I want to. I don't want to put you on the spot. But I want to kind of get your perspective on this. I hate when you say that. Um, <laughs> obviously, obviously, as men the three of us we we probably get something different out of hellraiser than what you do so as a woman what what is it that what is it that kind of made you pick hellraiser over is there something in the story is there something in the character of pinhead like what is it that drew you into the story of hellraiser and what made makes this a movie that you were more interested in Okay, I think I, I think forget what you're asking me. Okay, um, a huge part of it is a huge part of it is Clive Barker. Yeah, because before we even watched Pinhead, we'd watched Candyman. I'd fallen in love with Candyman, and then Pinhead as a character is written very similarly to how Candyman is. They're both very well spoken. They're both like these imposing figures that I kind of. Mark me down as scared and horny. Like <laughs> they are the epitome. Both of those characters are the epitome of Mark me down as scared and horny. And I think that's part of the reason why I love it so much. I love that there's this this character that's kind of weirdly sexual, yeah, intrinsically terrifying. Also, it really helps that they got Tony Todd and um, Doug Bradley. Bradley to play them, who both have very like attractive voices. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Basically, that was my roundabout way of saying, "Am I going to have to like buy a pinhead cosplay?" Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get right. hard. That, to be fair, earlier that was my first thought when she said she liked pinhead. I was like, "So you got them at home? You got some pins? Yeah, <laughs> you've been sticking well, them on." Because I feel like Jamie Clayton is very much going to cement me as horny and scared. I hope so. Then we'll discuss getting some some roleplay costumes, though. (laughs) 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 Right, well... I'll be skinless, you can be skinless friend. Yeah, you can skin this right. <laughs> Cover yourself in tomato. Ketchup. That sounds amazing. <laughs> right, well, thank you guys. Yeah. Uh, it's been amazing to have you on again. Uh, we love your back and forth, and we yeah. <laughs> we enjoy getting to do episodes together. It's nice to have the first time to get all four of us to do an episode together. It's been a. Uh, it's been interesting. It's been fun. <laughs> it's been a crazy ride. Uh, many, well, many odd tangents. I'm sure we didn't. I mean, for some people listening, they might be going, "I wanted to listen to an episode about Hellraiser, not about hanging dogs." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where can people find your podcast? Just to link it back. Link in. it back in. I mean, if they're interested in Hellraiser and not tangents, probably best you don't, because that's what the majority of our podcast is. <laughs> um, if you do want to find us, we are S A M A H F pod, no? S I M A H F pod on Twitter. 
Nice. Sorry, Mary, don't worry, fan on Tumblr and Instagram. All one word, all lowercase. <laughs> I didn't see you punishing me because I did it last week. You're like, you're finished. <laughs> <laughs> Jumped in and stole the thunder. Um, but yeah, there you go. That's on social media. Do you have any others? Yeah. No. Awesome. So um, if you're. Oh, sorry. Go, so. <laughs> as, as always, we want to thank you guys for being absolutely gracious hosts. And uh, I feel like you've learned way more about me specifically as a person than you probably ever needed to um but yeah you know we we love like coming on and talking to you guys like you know in outside of podcast land we like chat quite frequently um and i feel like our podcasts are very similarly lined up and we have very similar um opinions on things so it's always always fun to come on and and chat with you guys and you know, we just appreciate the fact that you guys have continued to support us and continue to ask us to come back. Um, I feel like maybe you'd be off a little bit more than you can do. <laughs> <laughs> nah, never. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is honestly exactly what we wanted. Yes. This <laughs> if it's a straightforward episode, like, uh, to be honest, when we're doing the podcast, the, the worst episodes are the ones where we feel like we've spent the whole time talking about the film to be honest <laughs> like, i feel like that's not what the fun of coming up with it's your own experiences your own memories yeah i mean because of comments on halloween i don't know if we will have you back no. but <laughs> <laughs> that's for me personally yeah. <laughs> i'm joking we absolutely love having you guys on um yeah it's so nice and it's nice to have this kind of nice community around us that we're trying to build more guest slots in and get more people for ours but it's nice like i know you guys have the same like a bunch of guests coming on and so it's it's nice we've got that links coming through the whole community and um yeah so anyone listening uh next friday oh this friday sorry when you're listening to this it's this friday uh hellraiser is out uh whether it's out on the uk where it's out in the uk we don't currently know whether it's on disney plus it seems like the most likely place for it to pop up maybe it will maybe everyone will be pirating it this weekend this time um but you need to go and check us out on so i married a horror pan for (laughs) <laughs> that went so wrong. I think you Sorry, married a pan podcast. I married a horror pan. All right, fine. Like so I well, I'm not, you, you chose set. Yeah, I'm well, tongue tied. We uh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, the new Hellraiser will be out on the seventh of October. You can come and uh, check us out on So I Married a Horror Fan podcast. That's one uh, where we'll be going in depth with it. Um, as always, if thank you for listening to the show. Make sure you go and check out So I Married a Horror Fan podcast. Um, and yeah, please make sure that you hit the subscribe button and leave us a lovely review. It helps us grow. And we will see you soon. Goodbye.